Thank you, Carl. And thank you, gentlemen, for singing, and thank you all for being here this evening. I'm Tim Tomlinson, and I'm so thankful for the privilege to be here, and I've been able to be here before, and it's just a privilege and honor to be back. Thank you, Brother Curley. And, uh, we do covet your prayers at Crown College, and that's not too far away, and many of you have had the opportunity to visit with us, and we encourage you to come. I hope you could come on our campus and see our our Christian Heritage Center, where we've highlighted the lives of hundreds of Christians of the past who live for the Lord. And then I wish you could come and see our students. And we just started school this week, so it's been a very busy week for us. And these guys know that we've just kicked off classes a couple of days ago, and we're off to a great start. We have, I think, over 200 freshmen who just came in as a new class, and so that's a great a great group. They come from all over the country, some of them from other places around the world. And I'm just still amazed at what God is doing. And I stood at the doors last Friday as we opened up, and I just saw family after family and young person after young person coming in. And I just thought, this is an amazing thing that the Lord does to uh, send people all the way to East Tennessee to uh, prepare their life to do something for God. And that's an amazing thing, and I hope that you could come sometime and be in the middle of our, our campus and catch that spirit just a little bit. And some of you may have uh, questions about our school, and, and we'd love to help you. There's some young people here. I hope you'll pray about uh, coming to a place like Crown College and letting God use that in your life, because it really is a life-changing um, experience to be there. And to see what God will do in your life is just an amazing thing. I'm so happy these guys could be here. They traveled all summer, and so they were out away from their families all summer, traveling from church to church and some youth camps and things like that, and uh, did a great job. And they're back in school, and we want them to finish and finish strong. And so you encourage them. So happy that Dr. Whiteside is here as well. I know he was with you last year, and he heads our science department and we have an entire school of science and healthcare and a Crown Creation Science Center right there on campus. And he is he's the leader of all that, and we're so thankful. A dear friend of mine, and we've been friends for a number of years now. I'm so thankful God put us together. And I want to share just a thought from God's Word that I trust will encourage us. I trust it will go with the theme of the meeting. And I was very blessed by the men who gave testimony and messages earlier, and I was very encouraged by the prayer time, and so uh, thank you, Carl, for that. I thought that was wonderful, and uh, thank you, men, who spoke, and I'm so thankful God is working your life. I came to know the Lord when I was an eight-year-old boy, and so that's a privilege. That's a privilege that many children do not get to have the truth in their life at that young of an age, and I'm so thankful that uh, my father uh, was a Christian, but very far from God, but he was uh, Lord got his attention. He got right with God right about the time I was born, and that just changed our home completely. And I had the privilege of having a dedicated Christian mom and dad growing up because of that. And the Lord's so good. And my dad's in heaven now, and my mother's still with us, but it's great to have a heritage of faith. And for those of us who have that, now we have a responsibility to continue it, right? And so, let's turn in our Bibles tonight to 1 Samuel chapter 13, if you would. 1 Samuel chapter 13. 
And I want to come with you in the Scripture to this account in the Word of God and really come to just one main thought that God has for us, but I want to work my way there and let's see what the Lord would have for us in this part of our meeting tonight, and then I look forward to hearing Dr. Whiteside in just a little while, and I know God will use him in a special way to speak to your heart. And I'm thinking about our nation, I'm thinking about our our land that we live in, I love America, I'm thankful that God has put me here. I'm thankful for the Christian heritage we have in America, aren't you? And that's tied to the freedoms that we've had for all these years. And we've been blessed in this country. And it all goes back to roots in this very book right here. And if you ever try to understand America without understanding the influence of the Bible, then you will not understand our country and where we are. And we try to teach that and emphasize that as we train young people. But I'm thinking about our nation, I'm thinking about the needs of our nation, and there's nothing wrong in America that can't be fixed by this book right here. I know it seems like it's going so far, it's unfixable. But there's one remedy, and there's only one remedy, and that's the truth of the Word of God. But here's the problem. The Word of God doesn't preach and teach itself. God has invested His Word into our hands. We are the stewards of the truth of God's Word. And so the great responsibility comes with us. Now you say, what do we read in the Old Testament you know, about America? Well, America's not in the Old Testament, I get that. But God is so wise that as He's given us His Word... We read of things that were from centuries ago, and yet in the wisdom of God, He recorded this for us, and we see with great clarity, hey, that applies to what I'm dealing with right now. And we see that over and over again. So we're not saying this is America in 1 Samuel chapter 13, but what we are seeing is, we're seeing a great principle and great truths that connect to what we're dealing with right now. And I want to read, first of all, a text verse. If you come with me, please, to 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse number 19. I'd like for you to mark this phrase, a very interesting one, very intriguing one. In fact, I don't find this anywhere else recorded in the Scripture, just in a very unique way. Notice what's said. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 13 and verse 19, Now there was no smith found throughout all the land of Israel. Would you mark that in your Bible, if you mark in your Bible? There was no smith found throughout all the land of Israel. And I like to preach this message to you. Where are the smiths? Now, I'm not talking about a family that didn't show up tonight, okay? (laughs) Whoever they are, I'm not picking on anybody, right? Where are the Smiths? Where are the Smiths? Let's have a word of prayer. Father, speak to our hearts, please, in these next minutes. Open our understanding as only you can through your word. In Christ's name I pray, amen. I want you to notice, first of all, the setting. Why would God say that there was no Smith found throughout all the land of Israel. Why is that important? Let's look first at the setting, and let's go back to chapter 13 and verse number 1, 
And if you'll follow with me, let's see what we have happening here at this particular time and see if God wouldn't show us some connections to 2023. Look at verse number 1. Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel, whereof 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash in the Mount of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. And the rest of the people he sent every man to his tent. Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard say that Saul had smitten the garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel also was had an abomination with the Philistines. And the people were called together after Saul to Gilgal. So as I pause here for a moment, the setting is we've got Saul leading out the uh, army, they have 3,000 men, and now they're going against the Philistines, okay? We're familiar with the Philistines for sure, because of how they'll connect later on to David, right? And of course, the Goliath of Gath, the great Philistine champion, we'll read of a little later. Let's read on. Look at verse number 5. And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel. Now remember, Israel has 3,000. But notice it says, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and pitched in Michmash eastward from Beth Haven. And so the fight is on. Saul has irritated the Philistines. He, he slew a garrison of them. And now they say, all right, buddy, you want to fight? We're going to bring you the fight. And look at it there again. 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore. In other words, we can't even number how many are in this army. And I want to show you that in this setting, Israel is outmanned by far. The wicked have outmanned God's people by far. It's not even close on human terms. And you know, it seems like in America today and in the nation that we live in in this very hour, it seems like the righteous are fewer and fewer, doesn't it? It seems like the wicked are growing stronger and stronger. And it seems like that numerically speaking, we're outmanned by far. I mean, there was far more people at the fair last week than at church tonight. I mean, there's far more people at the UT football game than there is at church on Sunday morning. There are far more people who seem to be standing up for things that are unrighteous and wicked than there are those who, are, who dare to stick their head up and say, no, we're going to stand for what's right. And you know, we're living in the same kind of scenario where God's people are really far, far outnumbered. This is the setting. And the Philistines are bringing the fight. And I don't know if there's ever been a time in America where the devil has been bringing the fight like he is now. I mean, it used to be, you know, there's, the, there, there's God's people and the people who are standing for the Word of God and what's right, and you had the devil's crowd, but the devil's crowd stayed in the bar. And the devil's crowd stayed in the nightclub. And the devil's crowd had their certain turf. But now the devil's crowd wants to take it all over. I mean, they're bold, they're brazen. They're, they're insolent and brash about the whole thing. 
They'll, they'll say things as bold as, there is no God. There is no truth to that Bible. You're crazy for going to church. That's old. That's dinosaur. That's out of date. That, that, that's something that, that we should be beyond. We, we've progressed beyond all this stuff of God and church and Bible and prayer and things like that. Hey, we've gone way beyond that now. It's, it's, it's 2023 now, and they're bold and they're brash about it. They'll bring the fight right to you. And the setting that they're finding themselves in is not so, uh, not so unfamiliar. So look at verse number 6. And when the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed, then the people did hide themselves in caves and thickets and rocks and high places. We had a word for that in the military. They went AWOL. Whoa, look at all these people as the sand of the sea for multitude. Look at all these horsemen. Look at all these 30,000 chariots. 3,000 of us? We're, gonna, we're out of here, buddy. And the people are afraid. Look at verse number 7. And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. And as for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal. And all the people followed him. But notice what it says. Trembling. Saul, we're still behind you, but I don't know, buddy. And you know what we find so many Christians doing today? Well, I'll have my faith, but I'll just keep it to myself. I'll hide in the cave with my faith. I'm not going to open my mouth. I'm not going to stick my head up because I know where to get chopped off. I'm not going to stand out. I'm not going to speak out. Oh, I'll keep my family right. Maybe I can keep my family with the faith and keep my family with the Lord. Maybe we'll, our little church will stay right and we'll just try to keep the faith here. But we're not going to get outside the walls. We're not going to confront unbelief. And that's the attitude of many of God's people today. The setting is very similar. Outnumbered, afraid, trembling, as if we have no chance. That's how they were in this particular setting. By the way, they also had poor leadership. Look again at verse number 9. The, as you continue through, we'll skip through. And Saul said, bring hither the burnt offering to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offerings. If you read the story here, the account is simple. Saul was not the priest. Samuel was. And Saul is an unprincipled leader. He's an unspiritual leader. If we've ever had a time in America where we have poor, bad, unspiritual leadership, it is right now. And it is everywhere. I'm not just picking on a president or somebody like that in particular. I mean, it's rampant. It's hard to find locally leaders who believe God, like the guys we're seeing. Who will just simply say, God created the world. The Bible's true. Jesus is real. It's hard to find leaders who will live principled spiritual lives. We're in a crisis of leadership that's godly. They had a crisis because they've got a self-willed leader named Saul who will not regard God's principles the right way. The setting is very, very similar to what we're dealing with now. Come to verse 15. The Bible says, And Samuel arose and got him up from Gilgal, verse 15, unto Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people that were present with him, about 600 men. He lost a lot, 2,400 people. They're diminishing now. By the way, most churches I know are not running more today than they were five years ago. God's people are disappearing, aren't they? Their army is dwindling down. 
How are we going to take on the enemy if we're losing all the soldiers? So the setting here, it seems impossible. How did they get here? How did they get here? Then notice, secondly, the strategy. Would you look at verse 17 as we come toward our text here? The Bible says, And the spoilers came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned unto the way that leadeth to Ophrah, unto the land of Shul. And another company turned the way to Bethorn. And another company turned to the way of the border that looketh to the valley of Zeboam toward the wilderness. So, Notice their strategy. Their first strategy is they are infiltrating in many different fronts. The Philistines don't come in one one front and just say we're going to march as one army right through Israel and try to take on Saul. They could have done that. They're a big army. But their strategy was we're going to try to get in in several areas and weaken them. Isn't it interesting? The Bible says there in verse 17, they went out in three companies. Isn't it interesting that, it, that for the Christian, the battles we face are against the world and the flesh and the devil. We've got the devil, our adversary, he's always trying to have his way. We've got our old flesh still around, always trying to take over and have its way and raise up its ugly head. And we've still got the world system that's trying to pull to us. It's as if on every front, the devil's trying to say, I'm going to surround you, I'm going to get you, I'm going to squeeze you out. There's already a whole lot of you bailing out, and the the army's already diminishing. I'm going to try to choke the life out of you. This is their strategy. But notice they had another strategy that's very interesting. Look again at verse number 19. It says, Now there was no smith found throughout all the land of Israel. Why? How did they get here? Notice, for the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make them swords or spears. But all the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen every man his share, and his coulter, and his axe, and his mattocks. Yet they had a file for the mattocks, and for the coulters, and for the forks, and for the axes to sharpen the goads. So it came to pass in the day of battle, that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of the people that were with Saul and Jonathan, but with Saul and Jonathan his son was there found. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the passage of Michmash. Now you say, what are we reading here, Brother Tim? Here's what we're reading. The Israel unwittingly had fallen to their strategy. And so many, many months, we believe even years before 1 Samuel chapter 13 happened, the Philistines, who were godless people, who had no regard for the Word of God, no regard for the worship of God, they didn't believe there was only one true and living God, no regard for the law of God, they lived their own way, and did their own thing, but the Philistines went to God's people and said, you know what? Why don't you let us help you? Why don't you let us be a friend to you? Why don't you let us be the ones who handle all your metal work? We can can sharpen all your mattoxes and axes and those things. We can forge the different items that you need. We know how to do that. 
don't worry about that yourself. Why don't you just build a friendship with us as Philistines and let us handle that for you? And God's people said, you know what? You know, that would make it a lot easier for us. And long before the battle ever came, the strategy was that Israel thought they were doing something that was easy and thought they were doing something that was good. And they, they let the Philistines handle all their metal work. How many are following me here so far? They let the Philistines handle it all, and over time, eventually, they were leaning on and depending on them for all of that work, and they were doing none of that themselves. Now, again, you read in the Bible, and it's like a mirror. It's like a reflection, and in the wisdom of God, He's showing us principles and things that, that we see even today. And haven't churches by and large, I'm not saying this church or my church, but haven't churches by and large today, can't we look back many years ago and see where churches started saying, you know what, let's just be a friend with the world. Hey, let's let the world in a little bit. We'll, we'll be a little cooler. We'll be a little more hip and we'll be a little more respected maybe. Let's hold hands a little bit with the world. Let's let the world, the world's ways come into our worship. Let's let a little bit of the world's ways come into our ways. And hey, let's, let's let down some of our principles. Let's let down some of our guidelines. And why don't we just be friends with, these, with this world system? And why don't we just kind of create a Christianity where we work together with the world? But what we haven't understood is that friendship with the world is actually enmity with God, according to the book of James. The Lord Jesus said in the book of James, if you're a friend of the world, you're the enemy of God. And without discernment and without understanding, they thought they could lower their distinction. They thought they could be a friend of the world and still continue on. And now that the battle has come, they realize something. They realize how weak they really are. Wow. How are they going to stand against this battle? It's not just that there's more Philistines. It's not just that they're outnumbered. But here's the great crisis. They have, over time, lost their weapons. They don't have any means of defense. They're going to be a very, very easy prey. Where are the smiths? So we see not only the setting here that looks so much like what we have today and the strategy of the devil, but here's where we come to, the shortage. What do they need? They need weapons because the enemy's right at the door. And guess what? They don't have a sword because they don't know how to forge that sword. They've lost that skill. They've lost that ability. Nobody's been passing it on because they thought, hey, we don't need this. We're just going to stay friends with the Philistines. Well, now the Philistines are out to exterminate you. What are you going to do now? We don't have a sword to pull out. We don't have a spear that's been forged. The Bible says they're very clearly, look at it. Now, there was no smith found throughout all the land of Israel. What's that mean? There's no one who can craft a weapon. Look at verse number 21. It says, yet they had a file. What's that mean? They had something 
to sharpen with and maintain with. But they didn't have the ability to forge new weapons at all. They're without that capacity. They're without that defense. There's no smith in the land. And it doesn't matter how sincere they are. I would imagine that many of the Israelites right now thought, whoa, the Philistines really are our enemy. I mean, they're waking up when they're at the door. I thought these guys were my friends. I was doing business with them and taking them all my stuff, and they were forging all my stuff for me to help me on my farm. And now they've got axes and swords and spears, and they mean business. They're trying to kill us now. You know what? The world has never been our friend. Oh, we love them. We want them to come to Jesus. But the world is the enemy of Christ. The, the, the world's not our friend. The world's not something to yoke up with. And now they've realized, uh-oh, the Philistines are here to do battle. And they've got us because we don't even have a smith. They've played the long game. And they've got us in a situation where none of us know how to forge a weapon against them. Now, what are we talking about? Turn to Ephesians with me real quick. Will you turn to Ephesians chapter number 6? It is no secret what I'm talking about. We're in a battle. And it is not a Philistine battle. Can I say it this way? It's not even a physical battle. Let me tell you this. It's not a verbal battle. Sometimes that's what we want to do. is just be in a verbal battle with the enemy or with falsehood or with those who are standing against God. It's not a verbal battle. You know what it is? It's a spiritual battle. And notice the Bible says, look at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You say, what's all that? It's almost as if God is giving us levels of the devil's purpose and plan to try to dominate this world, to try to exterminate God's people, to try to fight against those of us who want to say that we identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's got a strategy. There's order. There's a design to what the devil's trying to do. And the Bible says, what are we to do? Verse 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. God doesn't want you to be overtaken by the devil. And He doesn't want you to be overtaken by this world. And He doesn't want you to be overtaken by the flesh, these enemies that we have. That's not the will of God. He has designed that we can stand. And we can stand firm. And we can stand true. You say, what's the secret? Well, He's given us His armor. And we know often about the armor. Verse 14, Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. That's our armor. And having on the breastplate of righteousness. Right living is an armor against the devil. That's what righteousness is. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Giving the gospel is a part of our defense. There's no doubt about it. And above all, taking the shield of faith. That's part of our defense. Faith in God. Trust in God. Amen. And he says, wherewith you be able to 
quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and here it is, look at it, and the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. Look here, this is our sword. Where are the smiths who know how to wield the sword? Where are the smiths who know how to forge the weapon against the enemy? Where are the smiths who will read the Bible and love the Bible and study the Bible and live the Bible and obey the Bible and be ready to give an answer to a a world that's standing against us, that's calling us out to the battlefield? Where are the Christians who aren't just in name a Christian or, or in the club of Christianity, but they're serious about knowing God and they're serious about the Word of God? They understand that if we don't know this book and if we don't defend what we believe from the Word of God, then we have no weapon. We need some smiths. And the devil has had his way for so long that he's turned Christianity into just some kind of spiritual experience for everybody. Oh, we had a good time. Oh, it was great. Oh, wow, I felt really good. What do we know from the Bible? What do we know about God? What do we know about heaven and hell and salvation? You see, we got a crazy world out there with litter boxes and classrooms and people who think they're cats and all that kind of mess. And it's not enough just to verbally fight that. We've got to say, hang on, I've got the sword of the Word of God. I've got the truth of the Word of God. The only answer for a crazy world is somebody who knows how to wield the sword. And we speak the truth in love. We have compassion because we have a Savior who's compassionate. But we have to have conviction, not just compassion. We have to know this is what God said. We can rightly divide the word of truth. You see, where are the smiths? Did you know that smiths are mentioned one other time in the Old Testament? Let me show you the one verse. Would you turn to Isaiah 44 with me, please? Let me show you this, and then I'd like to make an application. Isaiah chapter 44, look at verse number 12. Interesting, God mentions the smith here. Where are the smiths? Where are the Christians who know the Word of God, who believe the Word of God, but who know it and can give it and who can wield it with skill? Notice, if you would, Isaiah 44, look at verse number 12. The Bible says, The smith with the tongs both worketh in the coals and fashioneth it with hammers and worketh it with the strength of his arms. Yea, he's hungry and his strength faileth. He drinketh no water and is faint. What are we reading here? We're reading a description of a smith. And spiritually speaking, God is saying, are you going to be a smith? Are you going to be somebody who knows how to defend what you believe? Who knows how to answer the attack that the devil's giving? That's what we're about. If we don't have any smiths left, then we're we're just pray for the enemy. Dads and fathers need to be smiths. Mothers, you have a lot of power. Your children are going to believe what you say to them for the rest of their life. And Christian mothers need to be smiths who can handle the Word of God. Look what he said here in verse 12. The smith is skillful. Notice he worketh within the coals and fashioneth it with hammers. Smiths have developed skill in their craft. 
and we need, we need God's people to say, I'm going to keep growing and developing in what I know of the Word of God. Get skillful with the Word of God. By the way, look what he said there. He said, and worketh it with the strength of his arms. How many of you can picture a smith at the forge beating away? Can you picture that? I have never pictured a little wimp of a man at a forge beating on the metal there. You know why? Because he's lifting a hammer over and over again. He's got a bicep that bulges out. He's a tough man. He's a strong man. And you know what? This is the day of weak, anemic, scrawny Christians spiritually. And we need some strong Christians. We need some healthy Christians. We need some bicep bulging Christians, spiritually speaking, who love God so much and love the Word of God so much that they become strong in the Word of God. They're a smith. A smith is skilled. A smith is strong. And by the way, can I say this in a little cute way, I hope? A smith is sweaty. You say, what do you mean, Brother Tim? I mean, he has to work at it. This doesn't come easy. The Bible says he gets hungry and his strength is failing and he drinketh no water. He gets faint. In other words, he's going to get tired a lot because his work is a hard work. It's not an easy work. It takes something out of him. And can I say to you that if we're going to take our stand for Christ, if we're going to take our stand for the truth, if we're going to help a world that is absolutely... Uh, untied from the mooring is just sailing with the wind. It's just going astray wherever the wind blows. If we're going to help a world that's just afloat, we're going to have to get strong in God. And we're going to have to toil and sweat. It's going to cost a little bit. It's going to be inconvenient sometimes. And I'm just trying to say to you, in a day where the battle is raging, we need some smiths. We need some Christians who will be strong and true. And who will say, I, I don't know what all I can do, and I don't know what all I can say, but I know this. I'm going I'm to anchor my life in that book. I'm going to read that book. I'm going to listen to the preaching of God's Word. I'm going to get under the teaching of God's Word. I'm going to memorize it. I'm going to study it. I'm going to apply it. What I don't understand, I'm going to ask the Holy Ghost inside of me to help me to understand but I'm going to make that book my life. I give you this and I'm done. Charles Spurgeon, famous, most famous of English preachers, I imagine, was sitting under a tree one day. He was a little older. He died in his 50s, but he was a little older, up in his 50s, and he was, needed a little rest, and he laid under a beech tree, literally laid up against the trunk of the tree. And he, sat, he laid there in the shade and was getting a little rest there, the wind was blowing, and he looked up at the tree and he said, you know, I really am uh, refreshed by being under this tree. It's very nice to have this shade, shady beech tree. And then as he lay there and looked up, he saw a squirrel. And as you would imagine, squirrels are always kind of hyperactive, right? You know, bouncing around everywhere. So here's a squirrel, and the squirrel is bouncing around in the limbs of the tree, going out there, finding nuts at the end of the branches, taking them back. The squirrel, he sees, has a nest up there in the hole of the tree. And the squirrel is bouncing around. There's another squirrel that comes out. They're playing around, chasing each other. And he's laying there under the tree. And he had this thought, and he said, you know, I appreciate this beech tree. It brings me a lot of comfort. 
It's very nice for me. But this beech tree does not mean to me what it means to that squirrel. Because the squirrel, to the squirrel, this beech tree is his whole life. I mean, he lives in it. He feeds on it. He runs in and out on it. I mean, everything about this squirrel's life is wrapped up in this beech tree. And Spurgeon said, immediately the Holy Spirit convicted me that that's how most of us Christians treat the Word of God. Most of us say, man, I love the Bible. Wow, that's refreshing. Boy, there's some good truth in there that really makes me feel good and really helps me in hard times. Most of us Christians appreciate the Bible. But Spurgeon said, we need to get to where we're like that squirrel. Where we live in it. Where we live on it. Where we feed on it day and night. Where this book becomes our whole entire life. Listen, this is the anchor for your home. This is the anchor for your kids. This is the anchor for your church. This is the anchor for your life. And I'll tell you what, this is the only weapon that you're going to have if you're going to stand up to an enemy that's right at the gate trying to march through your life. The devil wants your kids and he wants your teenagers. He wants your grandkids. And somebody has to say, I'm going to be a smith. I'm going to develop the skill and the strength and the, and the fortitude that's necessary to know how to give the Word of God in answer to a world that's shaking its fist in the face of God. Where are the smiths? Where are the smiths? There was no smith found in all the land of Israel. Is there any smith found in our land? Somebody ought to say, God helping me, I'll be one of them. I'm going to be one of them tonight. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, we love you. We're just trying to emphasize, Lord, how desperately we need you and we need your word. And Lord, how much we need your children to be committed to the Word of God. Now with our heads bowed and eyes closed, we're not give an invitation at this time, but may I just ask this, how many of you would say, uh, I want the Lord to help me to go further with the Word of God. There's just more for me. I want to be stronger in the Word of God. Would you lift your hand with mine and say, I want God to help me to go further. God bless you. Hands all around. What an amazing thing. Lord, we thank you for how you speak to hearts. And Lord, may this be a commitment tonight. May we leave this uh, call to harvest festival all saying that we want to not just be numbered as a Christian, but be one of the smiths, one of the ones who can stand strong and true and defend, Lord, and declare the truth to a world that has gone astray. Help us tonight. America can be helped Crossville can be helped. Our families can be helped. Eternity can be changed. If we'll determine tonight that we're going to anchor our life in Your Word. Help us, Lord. And we pray this in Christ Jesus' name. And amen. Brother Carl, thank you. Can you hear me? Hello.
feel like it's not on at all. <laughs> Anyways, uh, we're going to have Brother uh, Ted come up and lead us in a uh, another congregational song.